Welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour Podcast. Now, here's your host, Andrew Kelly. G'day and welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour Podcast. And on this podcast, we're joined by Jesse McRae. How are you, Jesse? Cheers. I'm good, Andrew. Cheers. Good to see you. You too. Give us a little bit of a player profile in terms of where you fit in the timeline of Newport Rugby when you first came, your position, just so we've got a, a slot where you are in the uh, in the history of the club. Yeah, the, um, I was brought over in 2009. Well, basically, yeah, 2009 right up until now. I was kind of bouncing between here and the UK for, for the first couple of years. Been here permanently since 2012, retired. When did I retire? A year or two ago. They're still up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. uh, played number eight the whole time. Excellent. And obviously from New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts in New Zealand? Originally from a small town called uh, Tikawiti in the North Island. But I uh, lived in Auckland for, for a big chunk of my life yeah. as well. And playing at school? Played, yeah, since I was five years old. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any notables that you've played with along the journey? Yeah. Um, a lot. Played with, uh, with and against a lot of... Uh, all Blacks like uh, Carlos Spencer Ali Williams uh, trying to remember Tony Woodcock um, that's a good list it's a good list yeah Sam Tuitupo if you heard of him yeah. little wrecking ball yeah there's a few of them uh, when I was playing in Auckland and rep rugby as well played representative rugby through the age grades I actually had a big gap probably in my prime years where I didn't play from I would say early to mid 20s um, so I played age grade representative right up until under 21s and then when I went back um it was just really premier club level okay. uh, at that point. It was a club? North Shore. Okay. And I've had the fortune of going to New Zealand on a rugby tour twice where I was told there are 3 million people that live in New Zealand, 1 million play, 2 million watch. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a an understanding of what rugby means for a New Zealander. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would say it's like a religion in New Zealand. Um, it's, if I can remember my childhood, you know, I was doing the haka at, at five years old and uh, your your dream is, if you're a male, obviously, is just to be an all black. But um, yeah, everybody knows the game, whether they play or not. Everybody critiques the game. So I always remember going in the club rooms after a game and then you got all these people in there trying to tell you how you played or what you need to do and what you don't need to do and uh, so everybody's definitely got a voice uh in New Zealand but they know what they're talking about for the most part and then you went from New Zealand to the UK New Zealand to the UK so I was in Wales it was 2006 playing there and how did that um, come about that the moving so, over uh, another All Black actually a guy called Blair Larson yeah. um, he organised it for me uh, so this club in Wales had just been promoted to the uh, first division and they were a small small town so they mm. were punching well above their weight so they brought in uh, it was myself and another Kiwi uh, what was the club Bill's Wales. Um, they're gone. I think they're gone back down now. We stayed up that year that I played. Thankfully, we were about middle of the table. But that was their goal was just to stay in the first division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went. Blair Larson was the one that organised the whole thing uh, with a guy called Jeremy Pugh who used to play for Wales. They got us over, and then I just ended up. Uh, I was meant to go home after the one season, but what are we? Fourteen years yeah, later, yeah. and I haven't gone mm-hmm. home yet. <laughs> Not so bad. And so then, what came about for there to be a Newport connection? So. From there, I went to uh, Canada, actually. I uh, played uh, in the Super League in Canada. Whereabouts? Uh, Edmonton and Alberta. And then uh, back to the UK, I was playing in London. Back to Canada, back to the UK. And then uh, then the next trip back to Canada didn't quite work out uh, with immigration. <laughs> And uh, so I ended up coming to Newport. I actually put my rugby resume up on the website and uh, Newport found it. Do you know who? Who from Newport? Yeah, who, who made uh, the first move? So Colin Roberts was the one that reached out to me, me 
and Mark Simpson then reached out to both of us. Um, we didn't know each other at that point. And uh, yeah, so he was the one that we were doing all our, our back and forth communication with. I don't know who found the resume or... And were there others you were interested at the time or Newport? Yeah, I was talking to a club in Chicago um, and I think one out on the um, on the West Coast as well. So what was it? Whether what Colin said or what um, made you choose Newport? There's a bit of that. And, and I wanted to be back by the ocean was yeah. a big one because the thing in the West Coast didn't kind of happen. And then Chicago, I was like, oh, I want to be by the, the ocean again. And so then you come just for, you committed yourself for the season? For the season. Of 2009? 2009, yeah. So me and Mark come over and uh, we literally met at the airport and we we're going to be living together for the next uh, three or so months. Um, and then I met Megan, who's now my wife. So she takes a lot of credit. And I know uh, Cranny was a president at the time. He he says he's the best president Newport's <laughs> ever had because he got me and Mark to stay. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in fairness, mm-hmm. people that haven't seen you and Mark play, if Newport was going to select their best team of all, you two guys w- would be on that starting team. And so that's a massive injection to have two players of your caliber join the club. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think both mine and Mark's wife will uh, argue that they should get the credit for. <laughs> well, I, I think they should. And you mentioned Meg. She's just not Meg. When you talk about rugby families that yep. have been very important to the club's formulation and success, the Beans and the Kerwins are at the top of that list. And you married into the Bean family. Her mom is Patty, yep. who is the sister of Billy, Chris, Andrew and Mike, aunt of Phil. Yep. Yeah, I, I met. I actually met her family before I met her. There you go. <laughs> I knew all the Beans before I knew met her. Good endorsement. And so <laughs> is there any truth to the rumour that Mike, Bill, Chris, and Andrew set this wedding up <laughs> so the Beans could claim that they are a better rugby family than the Kerwins. <laughs> that sounds about right. I heard they're pretty good at doing things like that. Yeah. I'm not the first. Good, 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 good. <laughs> well, uh, a great addition to the rugby club, but also a great addition to the Bean family. And so what was your first impression of the club? And when you say 2009, I'm assuming that was coming in in the fall? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, coming in the fall season. Um, I would say the first thing I noticed is this how uh, friendly everyone was. You know, the US probably gets a bit of a bad rap around the world. Just the way we were looked after that uh, that first year. You know, it was some tough times, if I remember. You know, um, I think the country was almost in a recession and there wasn't a lot of work going around, but everybody looked after us in other ways, dropping off food and beer, <laughs> the important things. Very important. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, on the field, like the, the first game, do you remember the first game? I remember because we played Providence. So I, I kind of remember it. It was different definitely different I get I actually one thing that stands out to me was when we went to the field and I said where we where we get changed <laughs> they said on the side of You're the field <laughs> That was something new to me, not having a clubhouse and uh, changing rooms. And then going straight to the aftermatch, drink up from the field with no showers. And uh, it took a little getting used to as well. Yeah, you welcome know. to US rugby. <laughs> yeah. And talk about some of the players, like you mentioned, Mark. Who else was playing at that time? At that time? So from guys that are still playing, I would say, well, I don't think Phil Bean's going to still play, but again, that's another one up for debate. Brandon Smith, he's still playing. And he's current captain now. And then the other guys, Jimmy King, Adam Landers, Colin Roberts, 
that's a few names obviously myself and mark churchy because he's he's gone through every era i think <laughs> he has yeah he, he's uh he's gone through a lot of generations <laughs> yeah and he's in his mind he's probably still playing when this restarts he? well he wish he could <laughs> and i'm sure he still could yeah time to retire churchy there you go uh <laughs> and so yeah what what was your impression of the the play the style of play that you recall because you're coming from number one the new zealand background but then playing you know serious club rugby in the uk and then all of a sudden you're here with an arguably second division team in the middle of nowhere yeah it was different um i had played in canada but although that wasn't a super league but yeah i I would just say the the skills were just the athletic side was there the toughness was there just they hadn't grown up with the game so weren't reading reading the game wasn't something they were i would say used to um and then the little micro skills like passing and that sort of thing um being able to pass with both hands or and so do you recall anything that maybe you and mark sat down like okay this is what we need to do for the club this is how we advance yep we did um so mike trainer was a uh the coach at the time and he he said to us if we wanted to have any input and so we did we we worked a lot on because the attacking side actually was kind of flowing pretty good um for whatever reason with newport but defensively we didn't have any sort of structure from memory to that season we we focused a lot on putting some structure into our into the defense um so we almost kind of took over the, the uh, training sessions uh, towards the second half of that season and we we actually made it through to the what do they call it the empire crossovers yeah so on the way to the, the national championship yeah where you you represent and you win your let's say region being yeah. new england and then you play the yeah. new york division yeah we played a, a team i can't remember where they were from but they're from obviously new york division they just beat us had it it was pouring rain that day down that, there that, as well no it was here it was pouring rain and they were huge these guys I would say had it been a dry day we would have won that game but what I will say is the season before we got here that I think the club had lost every single game and then we won that year I'm not saying this well our but I think having putting a little bit of structure into the trainings um, helped completely and I've always thought let's say the rugby spine you want to get yeah. a number two the hooker yeah. a number eight the scrum half which Mark was the fly half and the fullback and if you can get those positions right then you're on a, on the right journey but the fact that you and Mark being eight and nine yeah and we had Jude at 10 yeah um, wow. who was strong and then we had Brandon Smith back at fullback and um, that was back when he was fast <laughs> yeah. so the spine was uh, definitely strong that, that's fantastic and so going through from 2009 what were the the notable I guess wins in terms of getting to you know championship games New England tournaments what what were some of those games um some of the ones that stand out for me is is when we won the Rhode Island Cup I don't I don't know what the against year Providence. Was. Yep. So they they held it for the first few years I was mm. here, and um and then we won it in Providence, the Dust Bowl they call it because the field was awful, and we haven't lost it since. But I remember winning it that day was was huge, and then when we won the New England Championship only a few years ago I think maybe three years ago two three years ago that was a big one um, I would say the standard of play is, is way better now than when I first come over across the board all teams and, and Newport's obviously one of the top teams so during those 10 years that you're playing who would you consider to be the toughest opponents Providence Providence is always tough uh, I mean these days you know they're on their downward spiral we're on an upward I'm sure that'll flip at some point they're always tough even when they've been in a, you know down towards the bottom they seem to turn it on when they play us uh, 
uh, you know, Mystic at the moment uh, are probably the, the top club along with us. And then uh, Worcester, I always remember being a physically tough game, but they were really awesome guys uh, off the field, not so much on the field. But <laughs> Yeah, that, that goes back into history as well. Yeah, yeah, but I always got on with those guys afterwards, um, the Worcester guys. And so favourite road trip, like you mentioned the Worcesters and the Mystics, but what, and usually the favourite road trips aren't what happens on the field. It's yeah, the getting yeah. there and more so the, uh, the return. Um, um, or some of the memorable ones. Any of the ones where we took a bus? And so uh, what, that's up to Burlington or Portland? Burlington, we never took, actually, Burlington's one trip, yeah, definitely. We drove there, but we'd always stay overnight. That's definitely a big one. But one that definitely stands out was when we played Springfield. And that was in the spring because they're not in our division. And then on the way back, we stopped off at the, uh, the strippers. I won't say too much about what went on there because there might be some partners listening to... <laughs> that's okay, yeah. What goes on tour stays <laughs> yeah. on tour. So we'll, we'll, we'll honour that, that, uh, that code. And then touring-wise, you just did one tour to Ireland yep. in what what year would that have been? That would have been 2000. So I was still living in the UK. So it had to be pre-2012. So I'm going to say it could have been 2012 or 2011. And what do you recall of that tour? That was one of the best actually rugby tours I've ever been on. And you've been on a few. Yeah, and I've been on a lot. Just the way the the Irish looked after us. They were amazing when we were in Dublin. I mean, we we didn't do too well on the field. But uh, but yeah, it was an awesome trip. I I don't think I've touched a Guinness since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear. <laughs> Given it was early on, let's say in your tenure to the rugby club, it was probably a great opportunity to get them get to better understand and meet the guys. Yeah, being on tour. Yeah, I, I definitely um had already had a pretty strong relationship with all the guys that that I that were on that tour. Um, I was living in the UK, so I flew over and met them in in Dublin, and then I done the entire tour with them. But yeah, it was good. I I mean, I had already. Uh, done a few seasons because I was doing the spring for spring mm-hmm. for I was basically using up my 90 day visa right to the day each time I know how that works <laughs> so hopefully no immigration people are listening to this <laughs> it's all good you're still here and you're married you're here for good when you're you're on tour how did you bring anything to the touring party based on you touring in other countries I didn't I didn't I, I kind of let it let them you know take charge in whatever their rules were this was what I I rolled with uh, it was probably definitely not quite as intense as some of the uh, kangaroo courts I've been involved with in the past uh, there were really only money fines here uh, which I much rather pay money than some of the other stuff I've been made to do good yeah <laughs> good good approach the uh, the plays you mentioned some of the plays you played with talk about a, a few of them that, that, that were standouts and just their their approach what they were like on the on the field you know even starting with Mark um, now he's someone I don't want to give too much credit but yeah, he's. I've, I mean, it's pretty obvious with him his uh, playing ability. I do remember when I first met him because he doesn't look like he's gonna do much damage on the field. It's right after the first game. I was like, oh yeah, no, this guy's no joke. Yeah, him obviously. Uh, I mean, you could almost probably pick out any foreigner that's um, come over. So I kind of stay away from the foreigners because that's the easy way and stick with local guys. Um, Phil, Phil Bean, probably one of the more knowledgeable players. And uh, since I've been here, I think he's played in every position in the back line. <laughs> And he may have even come into the forwards at some point. Then his brother, uh, Finchie, is probably one of the toughest players I've ever. And a lot of people probably don't wouldn't think that because you know, he's only small. But he hey, he he does. He's not afraid to put his body in way of harm. Yeah, tell me more. Like just tackling and just tackling. Yeah, I've never seen anybody beat him. No matter how big or fast they are, he will always get them down. You know, and he's not. 
the fastest guy, but he somehow always will put anybody that ran ran at him down. Yeah, that sounds like a bean pedigree. Yeah, yeah. You know, he doesn't uh, knock them backwards or knock them over, but they never get past him. And uh, and his work rate was always high. As one game actually up in uh, Albany, we only had uh, 14 players and he was on one wing. And then he, next thing I see him making a tackle on the other wing and then another tackle back on the other wing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've done those road trips with Newport where you've gone up with less than a team. Yeah, and in some cases, you've got 14 players and you need to play two games. Yeah. And so you've got four halves of rugby. Thankfully, they let us uh, let us off the second game. They, and they gave us some players in the second half in that one. They wanted to make sure they won the game yeah, first yeah, before yeah. they gave us some players. And the rugby spirit comes yeah. through at some point. We've talked about on the field. You talked about my trainer coach. Talk about yeah. some of the, the guys on the sidelines, the characters uh, that, that you recall uh, pacing up and down or, or giving you some friendly advice. Uh, I, you, you can't go past the Gordettes because you definitely hear them on uh, when you're on the field. Uh, sometimes good stuff stuff's probably sometimes not so good but but they are obviously some of the best supporters for this club you know they're at every single game no matter where you stand on your feelings with the Gordettes <laughs> I, I probably could never drink Grand Marnier ever again in my life because of them um, that's good okay so we're, we're crossing uh, Guinness and <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're two that stand out to me you know Mike and CG and then this all, all the old boys the old boy contingent is is awesome here probably one of the best I've ever seen uh, in any club I've been involved in why is that um, what, what's the, the key difference that you've seen they're just so involved I mean I guess it's different when you're playing at a higher level because you're, you're almost just a player you turn up you play and, and it's kind of it you, you train you play but uh here the social side is is a lot more than you know when you're playing at a higher level so it just seems more like a, a big family which it is for the most part everywhere because that's just the nature of rugby but i noticed it more so here and even when i was in canada as well so i guess you know when you're playing in uh i don't want to call them the lower level places but um you got to pull together as a club to to make it work whereas uh when you're playing at a higher level you you're almost a little privileged and you think uh, they, they need me. <laughs> and you mentioned the Welsh club that mm. were punching beyond their weight. Yeah. To me, that's Newport to a T. Yeah. We're constantly punching above our weight. Yeah. And the Welsh club was the same, to be honest, actually. They're old boys. And a lot of the people were, I mean, it's Wales, so everybody's either Jones or, but a lot of them were related in the team as well. They were all families of generations of playing in that club. Um, but yeah, Newport's very much like that, lining your own fields and stuff. That was all nothing I'd ever seen before I came here. You've obviously given a lot to Newport Rugby, so thank you. What has Newport Rugby given to you, other um, than wife? And two kids. And two kids. Yeah, well, the club didn't give me the two kids, but... <laughs> we get the group. Yeah, and just a lot of friendships. And um, and that's one of the greatest things about rugby is, uh, you know, I can almost go to any place in the world and I'll have um, have friends through the game of rugby. But, but Newport is definitely a very close um, bond with uh, everybody within the club. And, um, you know... You'll probably see when this whole pandemic's over, uh, a lot of clubs will fold, I would think. But Newport will keep going because of their family. Um, they'll, they'll just make sure there's a team to play and the club's still here. Uh, whereas a lot of clubs, I don't think, have what we have here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention your business. Because yeah. there is a rugby connection to that to me. But BoxFit, talk a little bit about BoxFit, what it is, uh, who you're in partnership with. Yeah, so it's me and Andrew Manton. And it's just something when I... 
when I first um, was looking for jobs, I couldn't get anything because I, I didn't even finish high school. I didn't go to college. And so they were always kind of, um, if you didn't go to college, your, your resume didn't even get past the first step. And so I had always had this thought in my mind about starting boxing fitness because I used to box. And when I was looking for somewhere to train or do my, keep up my boxing training, there was nowhere. So I was like, well, why not start something? So we started with one class a week in the basement of the Boys and Girls Club and then just slowly grew over the years, what we are now. And so it's a, a fitness studio, yep. uh, boxing. Based on boxing, yeah. We do other stuff, you know, like strength and conditioning and all that stuff, but boxing is our uh, our main thing. So where would someone find you? Uh, one Casino Terrace. So it's um, right up or just off Bellevue, right by the, uh, the stop and shop plaza there. Excellent. Behind the Tennis Hall of Fame. And... Behind the Tennis Hall of Fame, yeah. And uh, the bo- you mentioned boxing. What What's your boxing pedigree background? So I started in New Zealand. I was probably 18 from memory. Um, I was actually living in, in Wellington then, which is our capital city. And then I moved up to Auckland and then kept it up and then used to go to what they call a lot of uh, interclub fights, which are the, no joke. <laughs> you just walk into another boxing gym and they match you up on a night and you just... It's so, on. It's on, yeah. And in Auckland, there's a lot of big Samoans, Tongans and everything. So when I was getting matched up, you know, it's serious. But I always uh, managed to do pretty well. Then I, I fought a couple of times in the UK as well okay. when I was living over there. How did that experience or understanding of boxing help you on the rugby field? Gives you confidence. I would say obviously the fitness benefits are there but I would say uh, the biggest thing is just the, the confidence just knowing you can look after yourself that I would say that's the biggest benefit outside of the, the obvious fitness because it is some of the hardest training you ever do boxing and did you ever have to defend yourself on the field where uh, it came into play yeah I think I've um, even had to do it here in Newport I do remember this one time uh, big Tongan guy playing for Portland and uh, me and him used to go at each other a fair bit and uh, I guess he was running to hit me in the back of the head and and uh, guy Warren Caldwell who's a police officer on our side all I saw him was running towards me and I didn't know what was going on he just went straight over my shoulder and clocked the guy and then that's, there, was a, there was actually a big brawl after that so that's the only time here i remember throwing punches i think <laughs> maybe at the bars too but <laughs> yeah well, it's uh yeah rugby's a game that's played on and off the field so it's nice to have that in your back pocket if you're um over in the uk or new zealand and you're recruiting what's your pitch to why someone should come and play rugby in newport so actually i do all the um myself phil phil bean and uh, coach ryan moore we do the recruiting uh overseas recruiting so i do all the initial talks with all the foreigners and I, I just kind of put the feelers out through my own context and then when I talk to them I just tell them the truth you know I just say look you you come here for the experience guys that are playing at their level they're not coming here to learn something in terms of playing rugby but you come here for the experience of, of being in a different country and I just say look I promise you you will be looked after you'll leave this place and you'll remember this place and every foreigner has they've all said that when they've left they come out to me and say no you weren't lying you know when we spoke because that's the biggest thing I remember remember because I traveled a lot playing rugby is clubs would offer you the world and then they never lived up to their promises whereas Newport did it's a pretty strong pitch yeah, yeah and it's hard to fully appreciate when you're potentially sitting over in Auckland and trying to work out if you got to join Newport but yeah. then yeah you come and experience and I agree that is the takeaway and, and that all the foreigners that that is their their parting comment yeah yeah definitely yeah well thanks Jesse for joining uh, the quiet hour appreciate all, again all you've done for Newport rugby uh, maybe we'll get the boots on you, <laughs> uh, sooner than later yeah uh, as we get out of this strictly old boys for me 
but hey, if the club um, needs a team and they need some players, I'll never let the club yeah, fall. Well, and we'll be better for it. Uh, cheers, Jesse. <laughs> Thanks right, for joining cheers. Thanks for listening to the Newport Rugby Quiet Hour podcast. And there's more to come as we continue to capture Newport Rugby's 40-year history and the characters and the stories that define our club. To hear future episodes, please download and subscribe to Newport Rugby Quiet Hour at Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. Until next time, cheers to Newport Rugby. You've been listening to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour podcast. For more information on Newport Rugby, visit newportrugby.com.